0: We are in James chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. James 4 verse 13 is where we will be here in just a minute. Uh, yesterday was Shia's sixth birthday. And with most of our family being in uh, the U.S., that means a lot of FaceTime calls. And there were uh, a couple of family members that forgot it was his birthday. And for their privacy, I won't say who it was. I'm happy to tell you after the service when my words aren't being recorded, uh, but we called them and they didn't right away say, happy birthday Shia, and so I found a moment when Shia was doing something, I said, it's his birthday, you know, just to signal to them in some way, and right away their eyes got wide, and they, they as soon as he came back on the screen, happy birthday Shia. Uh, of course, they knew it was his birthday, they have been talking about it for weeks, but it slipped their minds, no big deal, no harm done, other than it being uh, eternally memorialized in the sermon. Uh, but they won't listen to this, I'm sure. Uh, th- there was also no harm done last year when two pilots for Ethiopia Airlines forgot that they were flying an airplane, and they fell asleep. Uh, they overshot their destination by 30 minutes, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles or kilometers. Uh, and they just were asleep until the alarm in the cockpit brought them back to, to life. Uh, thankfully, they went back Uh, They were delayed, uh, reprimanded. They landed safely. Again, no harm was done. But that forgetting isn't the same, right? It's a bit more serious, isn't it? We all forget. Sometimes we forget important things. Sometimes we forget minor things. With all the things that are happening in the world and the things that are happening in our lives, it's understandable that we will forget things. But just like the two examples I mentioned, some things are more important to remember than others. In our text today, James will point out that these believers have forgotten important truths. Truths that we need to remember in order to live well and to faithfully follow Jesus in this world. He is originally writing to them, but these words serve as a lesson and a warning to us. Now, if you have your sermon card, uh, the title this morning will follow the same theme uh, and the titles of all the sermons in James. You don't have to look to that, but a faith that uh, hopes, a faith that rests next week, a faith that speaks, a faith that loves. And so this morning I've titled the sermon, A Faith That Forgets. Now, that's to clarify, not describing a good thing, right? James is calling us not to forget certain truths but the reality is that we do james knows that now for different reasons from within ourselves and from outside of ourselves we do forget things both minor and important things and so this reminder is good and important for us this is a grace of god to help us see him Now, let me remind you, uh, now that we're nearing the end of this letter, next week we'll close out the book of James, and uh, Lord willing, the following Sunday we'll begin our Advent series. Uh, But in the beginning of this letter, James laid out the teachings that he would develop throughout. You can look with me, it'll be on the screens. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. James writes, If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue... His religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So three categories that we've considered and he's developed, right? Controlling the tongue, love for others, and keeping unstained from the world. And so this morning... In our passage, we'll continue to look at that third category, uh, keeping unstained from the world. And as we work through our text, we're going to consider together two stains, two blemishes from the world, two worldly blemishes that don't belong in the life of believers, in the life of those who call themselves Christians or followers of Jesus. These blemishes have distracted us and they've made us forget that we are to live differently from the ways of the world. And as we look at these two stains, I will highlight five forgotten truths that James mentions. So there's two worldly stains, five forgotten truths that will serve as, as a sort of outline to help you follow along this morning. And the main point that I hope you see today is this. Faith remembers what the world has forgotten. Faith remembers what the world has forgotten with that would you pray with me oh lord our god we come before you again thanking you that you have made yourself known to us through your word and asking that you would continue to help us to see you as you are faithful to do father give us ears to hear your voice this morning give us eyes to see you lord protect us from any distractions any things that burdens that we brought into the church this morning or that nothing would get in the way of your speaking to us lord and we believe that we will be transformed because you are faithful to bear fruit in our lives through your word and we pray for that this morning in jesus name amen look with me to james chapter 4 and i'll read verses 13 through 17 james 4 starting in verse 13 through the end of that chapter. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that but as it is you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it again as a preface i think we can spend weeks in this passage alone but we're not going to do that we're going to try to find the main theme the main idea of the passage and consider it together this morning and what we see is this first worldly stain this this blemish is arrogance Right? James points it out very clearly in those last few verses. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, he tells us. Now, the forgotten truth that we'll consider will help develop what he means by arrogance. But, but quickly, uh, let me point out that these cover things that we do, that we know are wrong, but also the times that we know something is right and it choose not to do it. Right? These are sins of commission and sins of omission. And so what James is telling us is that we might be able to uh, avoid committing forbidden evils. But with this word, it is sin to know the good and yet not do it, we hear that. And, And can any of us ever seize every opportunity to do good? The answer is no. And so we sin even in our avoiding good. In these verses... James points to three of our five forgotten truths. And again, they point to and they stem from arrogance. So our first forgotten truth. We are not in control. We are not in control. We have forgotten that we are not in control. We see that in verses 13 through the beginning of verse 14. We read that and and we see that there's a whole lot of planning happening, isn't there? Plans for travel and for business, plans for today, for tomorrow, and for, for next year. Business plans and expecting a profit. Right? James says that there's an arrogance to think that what you plan will happen. Now, planning in and of itself isn't something that's unreasonable. Right? And, and James isn't saying that all planning is wrong. We're going to see that in a minute, that he actually encourages us to plan in a certain way. The arrogance and the forgetfulness is the problem that he's highlighting here, right? We think we know what will happen tomorrow, but he writes, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You think you know, but you don't know. Why? Well, it's because we have no control over what's going to happen tomorrow. The arrogance that James highlights is subtle. That means it's not something we notice right away. I think that speaks to our sin nature. Right, that we don't even notice the ways that we sin. We don't even notice arrogances that are in our lives. We speak and we plan as if our choice to do something is the deciding factor. As long as I decide that and choose it, well, that's, that's going to happen. We planned it, and so it'll come to pass. And, and James says, that's arrogance. A, a couple of years ago, there was... Um, what's that called a global pandemic do you guys remember that did it affect any of your lives right my goodness the way the wor- the entire world stopped plans were canceled i still have my paper uh, I, I i still use paper and pen and scribble and I have notes everywhere in journals filled with notes and highlights and things and so usually the end of a year and the beginning of the year I, I start planning i just scribble and write uh, days and dates and I, I plan as much as I'm able to uh, the, the sermons for six months at a time and, and put things in between on the calendar and on that paper I have so many crossed out events so many arrows pointing maybe to the following week and crossed out lines and question marks should we, should we plan an event here surely this will be over next week next month next year right you see we, we speak and we plan as if it's our right to do what we want, when we want. But it isn't. James highlights that. And the reason that we think that means that we've forgotten who God is and who we are. Number two, our second truth, our second forgotten truth, excuse me. We are not invincible. We are not invincible. We see that in the second part of of verse 14. Not only don't we know what tomorrow will be, we don't know what our lives will be, James writes. Will we even make it until tomorrow? And so the arrogance is evident again. In our arrogance, we're forgetting God. We're forgetting the one who gave us life and holds our life and the one who gives us our every breath. James here describes the frailty of our lives. He says that our lives are like a vapor. Here for a moment, and then disappear. And the imagery that comes to mind is the fog that appears on the windshield when you're driving. Right when the temperature is drastically different from the outside to the inside, your windshield fogs up. All it takes is a moment or two with the heater to make it vanish. I think it's the heater. I always forget which temperature I'm supposed to do. But soon enough, that fog that was there disappears. That's how quickly our lives are. The arrogant way that we can live our lives shows that we have forgotten the reality that we are all frail. Friends, I say this soberly, uh, and gently and yet hopefully directly, we can die tomorrow <clears throat> and if, if you would allow me <clears throat> excuse me if you would allow me to, to even be dramatic uh, for just a moment, but this is a serious issue. One of you might die between this Sunday and the next, and i don 't say that as uh, as, as a tool in my preacher bag to try to get your attention, this truly might happen. And in our church, in the young life of our church, this has happened twice. I've seen a person on a Sunday and that was the last time that I saw them. Friends, we we just never think that we're going to die. Now, of course, we believe we will. No, No one thinks they're actually invincible or immortal, but it's always something that's very, very far away. On Friday night, the night before Shia's birthday, uh, often we try to tell them their birth story to some degree. We try to tell them the details so we can remember, so we can uh, rejoice over it. Uh, and so me and the boys were looking at the calendar on my phone and, uh, to see which day of the week Shia was born. And then Noah asked to see what day his birthday would be in the year 2030. Scroll up, it's pretty easy. It's a Saturday, if you're wondering. Uh, then he asked about the year 2130. <clears throat> It would be a Thursday, but I told them, I think we'll all be dead by then. Uh, it, was, it was great timing to have that conversation right before they went to sleep. Um, they, they were fine. Uh, 107 years is a long time away, right? Uh, we chatted about heaven, that even, and, and we considered that we would all be there by then. But even in that story, we kind of open up, well, maybe Shia would still be alive. Who knows what kind of things will be happening, right? He'll be 100, whatever it is, 107 years plus 6. Thank you, 113. This is a participation part of the service uh, when it comes to math, which I'll never refer to again. But still, right, death is, well, here's, here's what it is. It's easier for us to talk about death as a distant likelihood rather than a pressing reality. Yes, we'll die one day, but not us. I'm healthy. I'm young. Whatever age. We think we're young at every, every age that we reach. Death seems so far away, but I think it's important not to forget that we're not invincible. It's important to remember that we will die. There's even a phrase, <clears throat> memento mori. It's, a, it's an ancient Latin phrase that translates roughly, remember death. Christians of old, the Puritans and long before, and even those outside of the Christian faith, uh, thought it was good and necessary to be mindful of death. But not only to be mindful, but to actually think on it. I think it was easier in some ways for them to do so. Death surrounded most of the world up until about 100 years ago. Right? Today, people live longer because of advancement in, in medical treatments and medicine, hospitals and hospice services even help to sanitize the difficulty of death we don't even usually say the word die we say they've passed away or they're in a better place we don't want to think about these things and yet a hundred years ago and for all of history before that we were forced to before our modern ways most of death happened in our homes you so that means you would see it countless times in your life and so regularly, much more regularly than we are today, we are confronted with the reality of death. Most churches had graveyards right outside on the same property. And so to come into the worship gathering, you'd walk right past the cemetery. You'd see it on your way out. When you daydream in the middle of the sermon, which, by God's grace, none of you have ever, have ever done here, you'd look outside the window and you'd see tombstones with names of people that you know. Now, I would argue that because the reality of the death doesn't surround us in the way that it did before, it's good for us to intentionally think about death, not in a morbid way. We're afraid and we're, you know, dressed in black all the time or whatever it might be, but, but to think about the reality that we so easily ignore, to intentionally remember that we're frail, to remember that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Why? It's because when we remember that our days are numbered, we learn to truly live. We'll realize the gift of life and realize that it's not in our hands. We see it as a true gift and that we have purpose in our life because we only have a moment compared to eternity. Now, the description of vapor isn't only that it just appears and vanishes quickly. The description also speaks of insignificance. Again, think about the fog on your windshield or the steam whenever you're boiling uh, water for tea or your V60 pour over coffee. Single origin, of course. Think about the the moment. You see it, you mark it, and then you forget it. You don't think much about it after it's appeared. The fog on the windshield, you get rid of it immediately, and you haven't thought about it since. You might be thinking about it now, and next time you're in the car, you're going to maybe remember death, you know i'm sorry about that in advance but but vapor is insignificant and so what james is is pointing out is that in the big scheme of things the big scheme of all of life that we are quite insignificant now please hear me this morning especially for our first time guests i'm not trying to discourage you too much but, but but maybe i am a little bit you see we by default think too highly of ourselves. Without even thinking about it, we automatically put ourselves in a place that we shouldn't be. And and when we do that, we make less of God, right? Anytime we elevate ourselves, we are now bringing God to a lower place. You see, we think we'll never die. We, We think that our lives are significant enough to be remembered by history. But I wonder, you don't have to raise your hands or help answer aloud like you did with the math question. Again, thank you for those who did. But think about, and I wonder, how many of you remember your great-grandfather's name? Now, some of you might remember. And if you do, then just go back one more generation. Right? Imagine that just a couple of generations after you die, your family won't remember you that much. They might remember your name. You see, arrogance is a stain that comes to the world that just isn't fitting for god's people and we need to remember that why james told us in chapter one every good and perfect gift comes from above paul tells us in ephesians 2 for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves it is god's gift not from works so that no one can boast You see, we are insignificant, which makes the salvation of God all the more incredible. And we will get to that part soon enough. But let's keep working through the text and consider this third forgotten truth. Verse 15 tells us that we are not independent. We are not independent. The world calls us to be our own hero. We are encouraged that we don't need anyone. We can stand on our own. Self-sufficiency is the aim for all of us. And yet the Bible wonderfully and beautifully declares that we were created to need Jesus. Friends, that's a good thing, but we've forgotten it. We are frail, we don't know what tomorrow holds, and so we need to remember that God is in control, and so we depend on Him. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Inshallah. Right? That's a phrase that many of us use or know. If you don't know any Arabic, there are a few words that you need to know. Probably you do. Habibi. Yallah. Khalas. Inshallah. Now, now, how does one use the word inshallah? Of course, the Lord wills. And so you can use it to say yes, you can use it to say no, you can use it to say maybe. You can just say it if you want to get out of a conversation, you don't know how to end, you say, okay, inshallah, inshallah, and you just walk away, right? The the, the word has become its own thing altogether. It's lost its meaning and its wonderful purpose, similar to the phrase, in Jesus' name. You see, the word inshallah, or the the, the phrase in Jesus' name, it's not just a tag at the end of a prayer or the end of a sentence. When we say in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean that what we prayed will happen because we've now said some sort of mystical word at the end of our prayer. No, it's not a magical phrase. The purpose is that the prayer in its entirety, what you have prayed for, has been done according to the person of Jesus. And so we pray the things that we pray in His name. You see, inshallah is an important reality for the believer. It's not a call not to plan, but to remember God in your planning. And not just remember God, but to even prioritize God in your living and in your planning. Friends, our plans and our lives are dependent on Him, and we mustn't forget that. Three forgotten truths. We're not in control, we're not invincible, and we're not independent. And now let's look, To chapter 5 verses 1 through 6, we'll consider our second worldly stain and the last two forgotten truths. James chapter 5, come now you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and you, and, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. the the worldly stain that James points out is greed or covetousness, right? This isn't the first time, if you've been with us and you're familiar with the book of James, this isn't the first time that he's addressed this issue and he knows that there are problems within the church and outside the church with this issue and so he's bringing it up again and he's pressing into it. His example shows that greed can show itself in dishonesty, right? In verse 4, you don't pay the people what you owe them, because you're greedy. Greed can also manifest itself in hoarding. We see that in verses 1 and 2. Storing up things in such a way that they spoil, even that that gold would corrode. Also an overindulgence. Now the question we need to ask here of the text is, who is he speaking to? Now it doesn't sound like believers, but yet we know that in the beginning of the book of James, he addresses uh, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. Now, it, it could be the believers, because we know that we can all struggle in these ways, but it's likely written to unbelievers. And here are the clues that make, make me think that or see that. He says, you rich people, instead of brothers and sisters. He tells them to weep and to wail without any call to repent afterwards. Where he also does what? He's anticipating their judgment, not their salvation. So we ask, why is he addressing non-believers? Is he writing thinking that they will read these words? Well, eventually, by God's grace and sovereignty, many non-believers have read these words. But what he's doing, again, we remember the original audience, he is writing like the prophets of the Old Testament. His audience would recognize that. Like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Amos. Our scripture reading this morning, as, as Julian read it, out of Obadiah was an example of this, right? It's, it's a short blast against the wicked, against the enemies of God, and yet it still serves as a lesson to God's people not to live in these ways, right? We can certainly be tempted by wealth and by greed, and so James reminds all who would hear his words what the end of the people who are marked by greed and by covetousness will be. Their end will be condemnation, not salvation. Now, in verse 6, James seems to be reflecting on Judas Iscariot and his betrayal of Jesus, right? the only righteous one who ever lived. Judas was divided in his heart, and so he was divided in his loyalty. He was greedy, and he loved money, and so his true master wasn't Jesus, the Christ, Wealth was his true master, and because of that, he wasn't able to also serve Jesus, right? He was a divided person, as we were thinking of James's words, a double-minded person, unstable in all his ways, and, and remember, James's aim here in this entire letter is that he wants us, those who are found in Christ, to be whole, to be complete. Again, that's the idea of of the word perfect that he uses, that that we would be stable in all of our ways, not tossed back and forth by every single thought or or thing that comes against us. And so he reminds us of two truths that we've forgotten. And we're going to look at those together, numbers four and five, as we come to a close. Number four, this forgotten truth is that earthly treasures are worthless. Earthly treasures are worthless. Number five, Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. James wants us to see and remember that earthly treasures rot and they corrode and they offer us no help in the last days. Now, let me also explain and clarify that I'm not using the, the, the term last days as may, maybe you've heard before or other preachers do. Right, Often they'll say, we're in the last days. Whenever we hear of wars or there's an increase in Uh, natural disasters they think that there are signs of the end of the world but the bible uses the phrase last days to cover the period of time between jesus ascension right that's when he returned to heaven after he was resurrected from the grave and his return right his second coming so that entire period between those two points the bible considers as the last days and so the church has been in the last days for two thousand years And James is pointing out that we are tempted with greed because we've forgotten that Jesus will return. And because we've forgotten and lost sight of Him, we more easily trust in earthly treasures. We find hope and security in temporary and material things. And James reminds us in a very kind of abrupt way that they do us no good. Friends listening this morning, Brothers and sisters, when we forget that we will one day die, and when we forget the soon and promised return of Jesus, when those realities are far from our mind, the promises of Jesus will seem detached from our lives. The promises of Jesus will seem disconnected from us and from reality because they seem like they're going to happen in another lifetime or in another world. And so James reminds us of them. We need to remember and wait eagerly for Jesus' return, which will be our sermon next week. That's what James does starting at the very end of chapter 5. So we'll look at that more then. But greed can lead us to lose sight of God, which not only affects us personally, disrupts our prayer life. It helps us or it causes us to put our hope and and, and trust in things that are worthless, but it can also lead to injustices towards others. Right? James speaks against the wicked, and in doing so, he reminds the faithful that God knows what they're going through. Maybe this morning you're going through difficulties. Maybe you're being treated unjustly in your workplace. Maybe you're owed money, but your employer has said whatever they need to say maybe they even use the word inshallah for your hard-earned salary the outcry has reached the ears of the lord of armies now, the, the phrasing here stands out to these jewish believers to the original audience right the lord who commands the hosts of angels is a god who hears and not only hears but is able to defend his people Friends, our God is a God who hears and knows our sufferings. And, and this phrase, the same phrasing is found in the early chapters of Exodus. Right? God told Moses that he heard the cries of the people that have come up to them to him and that he has decided to respond, that he has chosen to respond by coming down. Right? God knows the unjust things that his people have gone through And what did he do? He came down. We read the example of the immense wealth of the wicked. We see that they were dishonest and they hoarded their wealth and treasures for themselves and they hurt others for their own benefit. And we think, well, our God is a God of immense wealth. What did he do with it? How did he use his immense wealth? The scriptures declare that he poured it out In such a way that he didn't even spare his own son. By faith, we are to remember the generosity of God towards us. To remember that God didn't only pour out his love to rescue us, but that he didn't pour out his wrath on us, which we deserved. Friends, we are wicked. We deserve Judgment. In, in, in a million ways, we have committed sins and we've also avoided doing good. We have, in a, in a million ways, come against God in our arrogance and in, in our greed. But God chose to pour out grace and pour out mercy on us and to pour out wrath on His Son. What then are we to say about these things? Paul meditates and responds and writes to the Romans. If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Jesus received the judgment for the wicked so that the wicked who looked to Him would be set free. He died on the cross so that we would have life. He was raised from the grave and defeated death once and for all and he has declared that he is coming again. All who believe on Jesus have a hope that surpasses anything else in this world. Friends, if you have not believed, look to Jesus. Put your hope in him. Believe that he is who he says he is, that he has done the things that that we all here believe He has provided the only way of salvation. He's taken the wrath of God for you. The Bible declares that if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that you are saved. No works from ourselves that we would not boast, but Christ has done the necessary work. And brothers and sisters, let's encourage one another not to be tangled up in the ways of the world. Let's together run this race of life for however long we may have life, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Friends, let's pray. Jesus, we, we worship you, and we rejoice and we rest that you are the one who will hold us fast, so that we will get caught up in ways of greed and, and arrogance, and yet we believe that your sin has covered us. Sorry, your... your, your, your sacrifice has covered all of our sin that your grace is greater than our sin father be glorified in our lives as we live lives of faith lord use us to encourage one another to run this race before us lord help us to live in such a way amongst one another and and, and, in in the sight of our community and the city the people will see the hope that we have and would look and long for it Father, for their good and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.